Section 2 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gray Clayton. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3, by George W. M. Reynolds, Section 2. Tom Rain and Old Death It was about half-past eight on the following morning when the two individuals entered a public house in White Hart Street, Drury Lane. One was a man of about thirty years of age, with florid complexion, light hair, and red whiskers, yet possessing a countenance which, viewed as a whole, was very far from disagreeable. His eyes were of a deep blue, and indicated not only good humour, but a certain generosity of disposition, which was not impaired by an association with many less amiable qualities, such as a wild recklessness of character, an undaunted bravery, a love of perilous adventure, and a sad deficiency of principle on particular points, the nature of which will hereafter transpire. He was evidently proud of a very fine set of teeth, the brilliancy of which compensated for the somewhat coarse thickness of his lips and the delicate whiteness of his hands showed that he did not earn his livelihood by any arduous labour in person he was about the middle height by no means inclined to corpulency and yet possessing a well-knit frame with a muscular power indicative of great physical strength his dress partook of the half-sporting half-rakish character consisting of a high chimney-pot kind of hat, with very narrow brims, a checked blue silk neckerchief, fine linen, a buff waistcoat, cutaway Newmarket style of green coat, drab breeches and top-boots. The proper name of this splashed gentleman was Thomas Rainford, but his friends having taken the liberty of docking each word of a syllable, he was invariably known as Tom Rain. The other individual was an old man of at least sixty with white hair, but eyes of a fire glaring from beneath a pair of thick, shaggy grey brows. He was upwards of six feet in height, and but little bowed by the weight of years which he bore. Having lost all his teeth, his mouth had fallen in so as to form a complete angle, the depth of which was rendered the more remarkable by the extreme prominence of his hooked nose and his projecting chin. He was as thin as it was possible to be without having the bones actually protruding through his skin, which hung about them like a tanned leather casing. He was dressed in a long grey surtout coat, reaching below his knees, a pair of shabby black trousers, very short, and black cloth gaiters, fitting loosely over that description of shoes generally denominated high lows. On his head he wore a greasy cap with a large front. His linen was by no means of the cleanest, and his appearance altogether was excessively unprepossessing, if not absolutely revolting. What his real name was, very few of even his most intimate acquaintances were aware, for his dreadful emaciation of form had procured for him the frightful pseudonym of Old Death. 
Tom Rain and his hideous companion entered the public house in White Hart Street, nodded familiarly to the landlord as they passed by the bar, and ascended the stairs to a private room on the first floor. Having seated themselves at the table, Tom Rain began the conversation. "'Well, have you considered my proposal?' he asked. "'I have,' replied the old man in a deep, sepulchral tone. "'But I am cautious, very cautious, my good friend.' "'So you told me when I saw you three days ago for the first time,' observed Rain impatiently. "'But Tullock, the landlord of this place, is a pal of yours, and he knows me well too. "'Hasn't he satisfied you about me?' "'Well, well, I can't say that he hasn't,' answered Old Death. "'Still, a cautious man like me never says yes in a hurry. "'Tullock knew you eight or nine years ago down in the country, "'and there's no doubt that you was a right sort of blade.' "'And so I am now,' cried Tom Rain, striking the table angrily with his clenched fist. "'Softly, softly, my good friend,' said Old Death. We shall agree better afterwards if we have a good understanding at first. I was going to observe that for some years Tullock loses sight of you. He comes up to town, takes this public, and doesn't even remember that there's such a fellow in existence as yourself until you make your appearance here a few days back. When he received me with open arms and introduced me to you, added Tom Rain. But go on, what's next? Aha, what next? replied Old Death, with a horrible chuckle that issued from his throat as if it came from the depths of a tomb. Why, you, frankly and candidly, told me your intentions and views. I admit, but you can't do without me. You can't do without me, my dear boy, and you know it. Again the hideous old man chuckled in his cavern-like tones. I never denied what you say, answered Tom Rain. On the contrary, I am well aware that no one in my line can think of doing business about London and making London his headquarters without your assistance. To be sure not, said the old man, evidently pleased with this compliment. I've had the monopoly of it all for this thirty years, and never once got into trouble. But then I do my business with caution. Such caution! I've dealings with all that are worth having dealings with, and not one of them knows even where I live. Only let me find a sure and ready money market for my goods, exclaimed Tom Rain, and I'll do more business with you than all the chaps you speak of put together. Well, I suppose we must come to terms, said Old Death, after a short pause. Tullock assures me that you were straightforward when he knew you in the country, and though time changes men's minds as well as their faces, I'll take it for granted that you're all right. You remember the conditions? Not a word you uttered three days ago has escaped my memory, answered Rain. Good. When shall you commence business? I opened my shop last night, replied Tom with a hearty laugh. Nonsense, replied the old man, fixing a glance of delight upon his new friends. You don't mean to say that. In a word, is this yours? As he spoke, Old Death drew from his pocket the morning's newspaper, pointed to a particular advertisement, and held the journal towards his companion. Tom Rain's countenance was overclouded for a moment, but almost immediately afterwards it expanded into an expression of mingled surprise and satisfaction. And snapping his fingers joyfully, he explained, Is it possible? 
Could it have been her? Oh, this business is speedily settled. And rising from his seat, he rang the bell violently. A potboy answered his summons. Pen, ink and paper and a messenger to carry a letter, said Tom Rain with extraordinary rapidity of utterance. The boy disappeared and old death, recovering partially from the astonishment into which his companion's ejaculations and manner on reading the advertisement had thrown him, exclaimed, What the devil are you after now? You shall see in a moment, was the reply. But I don't promise you any explanation of what you will see, he added with another hearty laugh. The boy returned, bringing writing materials and intimating that he was willing to be the bearer of the letter. Tom Rain told him to wait. Then, having hastily written a few lines upon a sheet of paper, he tossed the note over to Old Death, who read as follows. Remember the night of the 27th of October, 1819, and stop the inquiries institute in respect of the little business referred to by the advertisement in this morning's Times. This is past all comprehension, explained the old man, still keeping his eyes fixed upon the paper. The note has not even a signature. It does not require one, coolly observed Tom Rain, as he snatched the letter from his companion and proceeded to fold it up. And do you hope to crush the business by means of that scrap of writing? asked Old Death, evidently perplexed what to think. I don't merely hope. I am certain of accomplishing my object, was the reply. Now, mind you, ain't deceiving yourself, Tom, said Old Death. The man who has taken up the affair is persevering as a beaver and crafty as a fox. You may see that he is in earnest by the expedition he must have made to get the advertisement into this morning's paper. I should have hardly thought it possible to be done. However, done it is, and though it gives no description of the person, yet it offers a good reward for his apprehension. No one knows what trivial circumstance may afford a trace, and enough of this, old friend, cried Tom, and handing the letter, now duly folded, wafered, and directed to the boy, he said, Take this to the address written upon it, see if there's any answer, and I shall wait here till you come back. Look alive, and you'll earn a crown for the job. The boy hastened away to execute the commission which he had received. And so that was your business, Master Tom, observed Old Death, as soon as the messenger had disappeared. Well, you've made a good beginning. It promises bright things. What, do you fancy that I haven't had plenty of experience down in the country? cried Rainford. Ah, oh, I could tell you a tale or two. But no matter now. And the little business, Tom, inquired the old man, did it turn out worth the trouble? The advertisement says, Harkee, Master Death, exclaimed Rainford firmly, that business does not regard you. Our compact dates from this morning. Ah, very good, very good, interrupted Old Death in a surly tone. Be it as you say, but remember, if you do get into any trouble on account of this, you mustn't expect me to help you out of it. Neither do I, answered Tom. However, I am a generous chap in my way, and I don't mind yielding to you in this instance, for you must suppose that I can see your drift plain enough. The advertisement says a purse containing a banknote for fifty pounds and eleven sovereigns, and a reticule containing a purse in which there were three ten-pound notes and sixteen sovereigns. 
This is accurate enough. The reticule I flung away, the two purses I kept, and here they are. Thus speaking, Tom Rainford threw upon the table the objects last mentioned. Old Death's eyes glared with a kind of savage joy as they caught a glimpse of the yellow metal and the flimsy paper through the network of the purses. "'Pretty things, pretty things,' he muttered between his toothless gums. "'I think you'll do well, Tom.' "'And I am sure I shall. But turn the money out on the table. You care more about the handling of it than I do.' Old Death grinned horribly a ghastly smile and lost no time in obeying the hint conveyed. Twenty-seven golden boys, and eighty pounds in bank-notes, said the hideous man. The gold is yours, that's part of our conditions. Half the value of the bank-notes is mine for the risk and trouble in cashing them, and that's also part and parcel of our conditions. So I give you forty sovereigns, forty golden sovereigns. Tom, we shall be square. Just so carelessly observed rain old death produced a greasy leather bag from a pocket in the breast of his grey coat and counted thence the forty sovereigns on which he had laid such emphasis tom rain thrust the coin into his breeches pocket without reckoning it while his companion first secured the banknotes in the greasy bag and then threw the two purses into the fire you're a good fellow tom a generous-hearted fellow. And I'm much pleased with you, said the old man. I shall leave you now, as I have some little trifling matters to attend to in another part of the town. When you want me, you know where to leave a message. All right, ejaculated Tom Rainford, who did not appear over-anxious to detain his new friend. They accordingly separated, old death taking his departure, and the other remaining behind to await the return of the messenger. It is necessary to state that when Old Death quitted the public house, he was joined a few paces up the street by a sharp-looking, ill-clad youth of about fifteen, whose pale countenance, bright eyes, and restless glances denoted mental activity struggling against bad health. Approaching the old man, the youth walked by his side without uttering a symbol. Jacob! said death after a brief pause and sinking his voice to a whisper you saw that swell-looking chap who went into tullock's with me just now well i told you to be here this morning at a particular hour on purpose that you might see him he will be useful to me very useful but i must know more of him and he is not the man to be pumped do you wait here and watch him dog him about find out where he goes where he lives whether he has a mistress or a wife or neither or both added jacob with a low chuckle yes anything that concerns him in fine continued old death i am going to toby bunce's on the dials where i shall be for the next three or four hours if i'm wanted very good i understand said jacob and retracing his steps he hid himself in a court which commanded a view of tullock's public house let us now return to Tom Rain, who was waiting for the reappearance of his messenger. It was shortly before ten when the pot-boy once more stood in his presence. Well, said Rainford interrogatively, I see the lady herself, was the reply, and I give her the note, 
I thought it was something particular, so I told the flunky I'd only deliver it into her hands. And how did she receive it? asked Tom. I was shown into a parlour and told to wait. In a few moments the door opened and in come a lady, such a splendid creature. I never seed such a fine woman in my life before. Our bar gals nothing to her. So I give her the note. She looked at the writing on the outside but didn't seem to know it. And then she opened the letter and my eye didn't she give a start. I thought she'd have fell slap on her face. For a minute or so she couldn't recover herself. At last she says, tell the writer of this note that it shall be attended to. And she put half a crown into my hands. That's all. I knew it would be so, cried Tom Rain in a triumphant tone. Here's the five shillings I promised you, my boy. And I don't think you've made a bad morning's work of it. The lad grinned a smile of satisfaction and withdrew. Rainford soon after descended to the bar, conversed for a few minutes with his friend Tullock, the landlord, and then took his departure, duly watched by Jacob. He'd reached the corner of Drury Lane when he felt himself somewhat rudely tapped on the shoulder. Turning hastily round, he was confronted by a tall, stout man, who, without any ceremonial preface, exclaimed, "'You're wanted, my good fellow!' "'I know I am,' replied Tom coolly, as he measured the stranger from head to foot with a calm but searching glance. "'And I'm now on my way to the place where my presence is required.' "'Just so,' said the stout man, "'because you are going to favour me with your company, "'that I may introduce you to a party who wishes to become better acquainted with you.' "'Who's the friend you speak of?' asked Tom, in an easy, off-hand kind of manner. "'Sir Walter Ferguson,' was the reply. "'So come along.' With these words the stout man took Rainford's arm and led him away to the police court in Bow Street. Jacob, who was an unsuspected witness of the whole proceeding, immediately took the shortest way to Seven Dials. End of section 2 Recording by Grey Clayton.